Hello, welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. My guests, yeah, there's two of them. My guests this week are Gina Turgle and Hilary Tash. And uh, if you want to see the photos that I've just taken of the two guests here today, then head to www.sftl.photos. We've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. Hi girls, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, very good, thank you. Fine. Excellent. So, um, Gina, what I didn't say in the introduction um, is that you are a Holocaust survivor. Yes. And you grew up in Poland and you spent some time in uh, a few of the camps in, in Nazi Europe and then you, after the war, you made your way to England. Yes. Um, and obviously, Hilary, you are Gina's daughter. Yes, that's correct. So Her eldest daughter. Eldest daughter. Not just the daughter, no. but the eldest daughter. Yes. <laughs> well, I've got three children. Three children. Two girls and, yeah. a, and a son. The son is the youngest and she is the oldest and the middle another one. daughter. Middle, middle one. one. Yes. Okay. Um, so <clears> I guess my, my first question is, considering everything that's kind of happened since, uh, since the end of World War Two. And I guess the, the, kind, the kind of political climate that's happening now, especially with Trump in America, do you, think, do you think various fractions of society have completely forgotten about the, the lessons learned from the Holocaust? The point is, people who went through never forget. But unfortunately, people who just uh, listened to it or read about it, their memories are very bad. They forget. Some of them wanted to forget, and some people they don't want to know. But it's of great importance, today especially. We're facing up most terrible times, and people suffer, innocent people. And people who, what's the cause in it? Why so much hatred? So much is it's reportable to this. It's ridiculous. What they're trying to do, what they're heading to. And I feel sorry for the young people of today and tomorrow. They should never experience what I've experienced. Why I'm talking about it? Because I feel it's very important. We've got to talk on and on and on about it. Unfortunately, no lessons have been learnt, and this is the re and now people are not lis not listening and not reading in well, they, they know what's happened in the past, and that's why they all look to the future. But if you look at the future, nothing has changed actually. All these atrocities are still happening. Do you think, especially in the political? circles that it's it, it's almost like they've learned their lesson but they they push that information to the side they're just not interested in not having history repeat itself there's some other gain that they're after yes i don't think they are listening they they say they are but they're not listening in today's political no political definitely not when we've in america we've got trump who who wants to ban all muslims coming into america and he wants to build a wall to stop the Mexicans coming in. 
it sounds it sounds incredibly it, you know it's echoing the past oh it's it, that's terrible you, you just can't you can't do that mm. but he may have his reasons but i still don't think it's politically correct well i'm not a politician and i feel whatever one does whichever the groups are I think they should knock their heads together and think what they're trying to do. Mm. There are so many unfortunate people, starvation in countries and all over the world. Why don't they take pity on those people and help them? And on the other hand, they're trying to create hatreds. How can you do that? I mean, what is on their mind? And you've you've experienced a, a great deal of hatred towards you, and from quite an early age. Very early. I did not have any youth, really. It's not like today, used having boyfriends, girlfriends, and I mean, I was a young girl. How old were you when 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 the war broke out? About sixteen. About sixteen. And what's what did I have? Straight to to torture and straight to 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 uh, be treated in the most beastly way. So let's go back. You you grew up in um, in Krakow. In Krakow. In Krakow, and Lovely. this was before the war. So what year were you born? Pardon? What year were you born? Nineteen twenty-three. Nineteen twenty-three. You shouldn't ask a lady her age. <laughs> and um, what sort of what sort of youth did you have? What was your what was your life like before the war? Very happy life. Okay. Until the Germans came in, very well prepared. You were you were you were very well looked after. You what sort oh, of? Well, we had a lovely home. Parents. Unfortunately, my father died when he was very young. He was. 47 or 42, I'm not sure. And this was before the war? And he, no, he died really. before the war. When Hitler yeah. came into power, 1933, he died. He was in the Austrian army. Okay. And he's been wounded. And unfortunately, he did not recover fully. And of course, lingered on and then he died. Was it, was it a, a, a physical... Uh, you say he didn't recover. Was that physically or emotionally? Physically. Physically. Yes. What was what was wrong? Did it was our lungs? It had lungs. Okay. He'd been shot, and and um, that was that. And my mother. We were nine children. There was nine Five of you. Five brothers and four sisters. That's a big family. Yes. Was it quite common for families to be that big back then? That's nine kids. That's quite. That's That's a lot. It's quite yes. Yeah. But in spite of that, my mother was got herself very capable. She was very businesswoman and um, we had a wonderful life what business did she run textile textile yeah and she she ran it she owned it she ran it yes my okay. brother one of them which brother him. and my other brothers some of the older ones were married yeah and um and it was very it was a nice home of course until they came in the germans one day i don't know if you're interested to know 1939, when they invaded Poland and they demanded they wanted to speak to my mother. And my mother spoke fluent German. They walked into our home, they looked around, 
And they said, you've got a very nice home, but you won't be needed for very long. They just said, this is now... Just like that. So they said, this and isn't your home anymore. And we command you, by tomorrow, 12 o'clock, you have to deliver all the things which we see here. If not, one of your children going to be shot. Just blank. Like they just that. said that. They're just Like that. As it happens, university, schools, everything was closed. So one of my brothers, who studied dentistry, happened to be at home, and they're taking out their gun and they're pointing at him. You see, he's going to be shot if you're not going to deliver all the things, the contents only, not the furniture. Mm. And my mother said, well, whatever you see here, we will deliver as you command. Off they went. And it was rather difficult because cars, lorries, vans, everything was requisitioned. So how on earth we going to quite a distance to the headquarters to carry things? Anyway, my mother was very clever, thank God her sister. She walked out several kilometers outside Krakow to a farmer and she asked if she could borrow a horse with a wagon. And to astonishment, she came back. We start loading our belongings. Mm -hmm. We had to go several times backwards and forwards. And the last one, my mother broke down. She cried. Why? Because whatever she saved for, she worked for, everything was gone. So all your, all your furniture, all your belongings? Not the furniture, not the, the contents. Furniture. The contents. But so I must tell so you later... Like, like candlesticks, that kind of... Oh, yes, yeah. silver pa paintings, I see, I see. carpets, everything. But I must tell you, later months and years, we learned that all those possessions which one possessed had no meaning. So the starvation, the torture, the fear was horrendous. What, what was the transition like between the happy period, essentially before the war, to the, the Germans coming in. Was it, was it literally uh, overnight or did, I mean... Early hours of the morning. Yeah. On a Friday morning, they marched through the street with their mascots. They had the little Hitler Jugend yeah. boys. They hit the and youth. I've seen now, I've seen it in front of my eyes. We were by the window and looking through. And it was a funny thing as well. I mean, not funny. My mother gave us some old dresses of hers and scarves to put on because there were rumors they would rape the women, the girls. So we were terrified. But we didn't know that Rassenschande, in German they call it. Um, um, What's that? Race discrimination. Okay. Jews, they mustn't rape any Jewish girls. Okay. So that was our luck all these years that we haven't been attacked by them. So so the Nazis came and then immediately life completely changed or was there completely a, changed. Th there wasn't a transition between everything was closed, everybody was frightened to open the business. Jewish we businesses or were the, po Jewish the Polish people, people who weren't Polish Jewish? People were, we weren't interested in the Polish people. We had enough with ourselves. Okay. 
We walk through the streets, you see in a Nazi coming, you step down. And some people step down to the road and been run over by cars. It's, every day was a different matter, different surprises, different torture. In the middle of the night I used to come in, drag people out, old people taken to the woods, never seen them again. Little children couldn't play outside. They've been shot, they've been taken to the woods. You've seen a Jewish man. I, I was walking with my sister, and all of a sudden, this man, the Orthodox one, had a beard, and he covered it in his coat like that. He walked mm -hmm. quick. And that's all of a sudden, the jeep stopped with Nazis, and they shout, Halt, Jude! And the Nazis went over to him, bashing him up backwards and forwards. And they asked for the scissors, the bodyguard, to give him. So he cut the beard. So he pointed like that with the scissors, this way, that way. But he not only cut the beard, but he cut with flesh. Because the blood chin. was pouring down. And they beat him up, and the man did not move. But this, this is exactly the same as if I was walking down the high street here in Stanmore, and someone just stopped me. Yeah. This is for no reason. And that happens a lot during the day. Every day. Was there a sense in that time that this is only temporary? We, we, we're going to get past this and everything will be fine? There was no hope. But my mother was a great optimist. And she used to say, listen, the world war didn't last long and that won't last long. And we have to do what they ask us to do and just say nothing. How long was it after the, the Germans invaded that everyone was moved into the ghetto? Then we had to register in order to obtain a, a seal on our passport, on our identity cards. You had to register? Register. Yeah. And certain amount of people, so many hundreds. But my family, we didn't get so we had to move out 35 kilometers outside Krakow. And they gave us, that was the day when we had to leave our homes. We were allowed to take only 35 kilos of our belongings. Okay. We weren't allowed to go on buses or trams. We had to walk on foot. Star of David had to be special position. On your jacket? On the jacket. If by any chance slide it down, you could have been shot. So we always worried and it had to be cleaned, you know, in the evening we you carefully... Clean, you cleaned the, the start yeah, David on your jacket. What position did it have to be in? Just like that, here. On, on, on your arm, top on of the arm? On my arm, yeah. Okay. And then we reached that place, Borek, and one room was given to us. For how many people? Consisted of one bed. One bed? My two sisters and myself, and my mother slept in one bed. Where were your brothers? My brothers were in different towns. Okay. That time also, when the, uh, the others, like Princess, not the youngest one, my brother Vilek pointed at with a gun. Okay, when they, when they took the, the contents. And my other brother was married. Mm -hmm. He lived somewhere else. 
And my other brothers was in, in Gdańsk, you know, another one in, in Tarnów, little towns. I mean, and um, so we were only the sisters together with my brother, one Janek. And of course, my sister-in-law, and so. You all moved into into this town, and what what was kind of the the day to day, you know, what were your day to day movements? What were your day to day sort of we activities? We had to go to work. We had to come down to the ghetto. Yeah. And get work was allocated to us. We had been taken to the, for instance, the goods trains. They loaded with coal, huge lumps of black coal. You know, they used to use them in ovens, yeah. on trains and so on. You must have seen the mines and so on. Mm-hmm. And we had to carry them. They gave us two buckets, both sides, filled them in and carried them, like from here to the station. Okay. And can you imagine with lumps of coal like that carrying young girl like that. Very heavy. And not only that, but we were whipped. If you weren't moving fast enough or just, we walked, just in general? We didn't walk fast enough. Yeah. By the evening when we came home, it was completely, utterly exhausted. All type of work. They didn't care, you know, whatever. And so many people were shot. They couldn't do it anymore. And eventually, uh, that went on for about eight months, shall we say. Then there were huge posters everywhere. All the Jews who live outside the ghetto have to come in because the ghetto is free for them. So wherever the people were, and if they're not coming in, they'll be shot. So you weren't so living we in the ghetto? So we got into the ghetto. So you weren't living in the ghetto, but the posters then said all Jews had to move into the ghetto. We had to move into the ghetto. Okay. A small room was given to half of the size of the other one. And no toilet, no bathroom, sharing with other families. And again, we had to work. And then there were rumors they created a concentration camp, which going to be built on the Jewish cemetery. So every day they had to, they have taken, shall we say, uh, 200, 300 men to chop the tombstones because they had to wipe him out. They've got to build wooden barracks on the Jewish cemetery. Yeah. And so every day, shall we say, about 300 went to work, and half of them returned back because they've been tortured so much. They couldn't carry the tombstones fast enough. That was the penalty. Or chop quickly enough. So every day they were... Lots of fathers, sons, husbands, brothers. That went on for several months. And eventually the, the camp was ready. Mm-hmm. But before then, we had segregations in the ghetto. The men assembled in the hundreds. And a friend of my brother's been sent away. He was studying chemistry. And Vilek, my brother, studied dentistry. Following day, the wife of his friend came over to my brother, and she says, could you please come and help me to move this wardrobe? And he felt, you know, that he's, he's got to help. This is the, 
the, the, the, brother, the friend of his best friend, the wife of his best friend. And this is in, this is in the ghetto. Willow's gone to help his, his mate's wife. And if he got there, he moved the table towards the wardrobe in order to clear the things. Mm. I shot fired at him. And as bad news travels fast, reached us, my mother, my sister, myself, we rushed towards the hospital. We weren't allowed to enter. Why is that? We had to wait for permission. From from the we from the hospital. Manager? Okay. And we waited quite a long time. And all of a sudden, doors opened. A body was carried out, covered in a black cloth, but wasn't large enough to cover the whole body and placed on a trolley on my right side, like that. And I saw myself, why are they placing this body here? And I looked at the body, and I looked again. And I recognized they were the feet of my brother. And he was my favorite one. And I said to my mother, she was on my left side, I said, Mom, this is Bilek. Oh, she says, no, he, oh, they're operating on him. It took her some time until she realized that this was her son. And the proper burial wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed we to couldn't accompany the body to the cemetery. He's been willed away. And that that's was the last a lot of him. Then the segregation of women, a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. And my brother, who was married, he had a child. And his, my sister-in-law lived next door. That was in the ghetto, everything. And the women, we had to assemble in the hundreds and hundreds. We waited in all alphabetical order. She stood in front of me with a little boy, taking some sweets and gives them to my nephew to eat. His name was Sammy. And he then ran to her, Mommy, don't give me those sweets. You eat them. And don't worry, if the Germans want to shoot me, he will lay down and he will pretend that he's dead. So even at a young age... Now, can you imagine a child of three and a half years old? And he was the most beautiful child. But for him, I I imagine, for him, if if that's the situation and and the world he's living in, he wouldn't have known anything different. To him, that would have been quite normal, a, a normal thing to think and do. But I tell you... I've got nice grandchildren, great-grandchildren, beautiful. But he was something very special. Blonde and blue eyes, you know, sapphire. And then we walked to the, was the panel of the Nazis, a group of about 35 of them. And they were told to go to the right. My mother, my sisters, myself to the left. So this is one of the selections. The selection. Do. So women and, and children. And I looked to the, to the around, right. yeah. and I turned around because there are hundreds of women in front of me, and I looked around. And I've seen so many women and children, and I felt there's something wrong. So I waved to my sister-in-law, that to run towards me. The, she my ran towards you boy, or the kid. So the little wanted, boy. So you motioned for the kid to come towards you. So he did run towards me, and I just about to hide him behind my back. Two Nazis rushed down, and they took him like they throw him to the mother. He says, he must go with his mother. And that was the very first transport 
to Auschwitz, straight to the gas chamber. Did you know it, it was it was to Auschwitz then, or did oh, you yes, only learn that of course we knew. retrospectively? We knew it. Even in the ghetto, you you knew there was something called Auschwitz. Oh, we knew that. We knew that, but we didn't know to what extent. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, my brother Vilek got Russi, so he had a friend lived in Auschwitz, and um, and they came one day to Krakow. And we asked them, oh, that's, they've got a, you know, they didn't know. So they lived in the area, but they still didn't they, know there was a camp still there. Didn't know. But then the smells and all that. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. But in Plaszów, when you went to work, and in the evening when you returned, you could, for miles, you could smell. Aha, uh -huh, must have been a transport. So life in, in, in the ghetto was 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 kind of you know going on were there any moments where were you able to settle into a a routine settle into and settle into a new mm -hmm. life essentially no 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 then we entered the the concentration camp so you moved from the ghetto how what was that transition like going from the the, the ghetto to we the concentration camp to Plashov. huge barrack the barrack is from here to bottom of my garden there. Okay. And that you live to and live there in. were banks, straw mattresses and a blanket. Hundreds of women, the women. In the morning we had to stand to attention at five o'clock and work was allocated to us. And then we walked out What sort of work was to, allocated? Wait. We walked to the Appel Platz. Appel Platz was um Men separate and women separate. The okay. guards, they were married. We stood there waiting for Commander Gertz. He used to come up sometime, 8 o'clock, sometime 9 o'clock. Whenever he fancied, a whip in one hand and the gun in the other, walked over to our side, to the girl's side, looked around several lashes across our faces, walked over to the men's side, Looked around, you didn't shave today. Shot him down. How how were you able to stay with your your sister and and your mum for so long? How long? How how comes you weren't you weren't split up? How did you manage to thank stay God together? For that. I'm sorry. Because we were thank God for that. Because mm. we were working together. But one sister Miriam, she had this boyfriend, and the rabbi performed. She was married. And he was working, he was the architect, and he started a building. He was several years older than herself. And he had taken 55 men every morning from the camp to finish the building in Krakow in the center. And she was acting like his secretary. And they, in the evening, he used to bring us some soup, and she managed to get some loaf of bread exchange for a watch or chain, whatever we gave, you know. The Polish people came to the gates. And one day she came over, and she says, I'm so upset that you so locked away here, and I think I've got a job for you, and I'll be able to let you know tomorrow. And tomorrow come, 
She used to come about seven o'clock in the evening. And um, and seven o'clock is gone, that's all I said. I walked over to the window, looking where she is, looking, getting all the dust that was on the 14th of September. And suddenly I heard shots. I said, your power just throw me away from the window. And I shook my head and I said to myself, what is it? And more shots and more, and then silence. And my sister hasn't come yet. So I told my mother, there must have been a transport that she's delayed. And after a little while, some girls came into work. So I asked him what's happening outside. They didn't want to tell me. Then another group came in and then they told me there were 55 men and one girl who was shot. And then I realized it's my sister. And I told that my mother, can you imagine how I felt? What a difficult task was for me. We had to carry wood for the bodies to be burned. And can you imagine a mother to know this is her child uh, and she's carrying wood. And she always used to sleep on that side of my arm. On your left hand side? Yeah. And from that night onward until today, I feel such a chill like something torn away from me. Why were they shot? Why, why was your sister and the men killed? They searched. They found bread and soup. That they that were bringing in for you? That's why they'd been shot. And my other sister was taken, kidnapped and taken to the hospital for experiments. Your sister? Helen. Helen. And that's, they injected her with petrol. <sighs> Terrible. So, so life went on in the camps and then... You, you moved from, from one camp to another, or you stayed in the same camp? We left Plaschow on foot, then we went to Auschwitz. We were segregated by Dr. Mengele and to a shower room, my mother and myself, and some other women. A woman came in, and she was working as a clerk in the previous camp. And I tried to speak to her, and she says, you are here, like that, stretch her arms. And I um, was rather disappointed I wasn't able to speak to her. And then water came through, ice-cold water. We drank, it was wonderful. And we can imagine for so many weeks we did not have any water on our backs. And then the water stopped, the doors opened, different doors. And we walked out of there, the women screamed and shouted and, and embraced us. How wonderful that, this, that we are alive. And shouted, embraced us. I said, what are you shouting? What's it? They said, don't you know where you've been? I said, no way. You were in the guest chamber. Now, when I heard that, I completely, utterly lost my voice. And I feel... That power over powers must have saved my life. Was it that, that woman who saw you? Something must have changed the mechanism. Instead of gas, she put on water. It was a miracle. And then we walked on, then we went to, on foot, we had to walk through Germany, and so many thousands and thousands of people on the way. Snow was very deep, wasn't white, was red. And then we went to Buchenwald, 
and from Buchenwald went to Belsen, and Belsen was a camp known to us as a Vernichtungslager, they called the Germans. What does that mean in English? Vernichtungslager, finishing camp. A finishing camp. From there, there is no escape. And so we are told to get into huge barrack. There were no blankets, no mattresses, nothing, bare floors, windows, and no glass in them. Can you imagine bitter cold in the winter mm -hmm. in Poland? And I looked through the windows, and I could not believe my eyes. I've seen walking skeletons, mountains, mountains of bodies, children bodies, skeletons. <coughs> you could not distinguish they were men or women. And I said to myself, I'm not going to die like that. I woke up my mother and I said, I'll soon be back. I rushed out, I was aiming for the hospital. Because my ambition always was to study in the medical field. Mm. So I smuggled myself from one barrack to another, and I found a hospital, and I asked them, can they use some help? So they said they can use a nurse. I said, I'm not a nurse, but I would try my best. And I had a job then. One day I'd been sterilized instruments, some uh, it was on a Sunday, and I heard noise, and the windows led to the outskirts of the camp. And I lift up my head, and I've seen tanks. Tanks? Tanks. Okay. And I couldn't distinguish what nationality, what they were. Loads of tanks passing by, and loudspeakers, voice came through the loudspeakers in all languages. We British, we came to liberate you. The Germans, the Nazis got nothing more to say to you, be happy. And of course, the tears of joy poured down my cheeks and, and happened very quickly. Then some officers came into the foot of the hospital. And I gave them some water to wash their hands. And they've been still accompanied by the Nazis. And the Nazis have not yet been disarmed. But it wasn't for very long. Um, about an hour later, the, the, the voice came through, through the loudspeaker, all the Germans and the guards and every, all the Germans, they said, uh, they have to uh, lay down their arms and assemble outside the, the headquarters. And then we felt that we are free. Walk me through that moment. You've just had... Six years of, of not being free. Of, I can't of imagine. I couldn't believe my ears. How long was it until you actually accepted that I am free? Well, um, the same afternoon, two officers came into the hospital. Um, one looked Jewish and the other one not. And they asked me, do I speak English? I wore white overall. I said, I don't. I only know two words. The sky is blue and the sun is shining. And I told them that my mother had a tutor, English-speaking tutor, to my elder brothers and sisters. And I absorbed, I remember those two words. And so they laughed, and we conversed in German. So I told them 
There's an epidemic of typhus, dysentery. All diseases were very rife, and people were dying like flies, and there's no water. And I tell you, the British troops, they were absolutely fantastic. They installed water. They brought in food. They gave up their own rations. They emptied the canteen, and they brought in people. Some they could hold a piece of bread in their hand, and some they died. And the scene you can never believe. One of the officers, the British intelligence officers, he told me, he says, I would never believe I gave this man a piece of bread, and he said in words, Shema, and he died. Just, and just to explain to, to listeners, the Shema is a, 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 a Jewish prayer, and essentially it, it, it sets out the, the, the basis of the Jewish faith, and it's meant to be the last it's thing you it's say a before fear, you die. It's a, it's a prayer, mm. and unfortunately he couldn't even finish the whole. I get very emotional with that. I'm imagine. sorry. So Norman entered your life <laughs> in the camp. Yes. So what happened next? What happened next with Norman? Well, Norman used to come in every day. I was invited to the officers' mess for dinner, and um, I didn't want to go, but Norman persuaded me, and then my mother says, go. I took a friend with me, because I was terrified. I thought, what are they going to do with me there? We had to be disinfected, because whoever came in, the army had to be disinfected, not to carry the epidemic outside the camp. But the, the epidemic of typhus. So we had, yeah. yes, typhus, dysentery, everything. Mm -hmm. And um, Norman opened the door, and I stepped back. I said, why, what's the matter? He says, to me, I said, well, you must be expecting special visitors because I've seen beautifully decorated tables with white tablecloths, which I haven't seen for six years, and flowers. So he said, this is our engagement party. I said, pardon? I said, maybe under influence of drinks. So I walked in, and his commanding officer comes over and offers me a glass of wine and all his colleagues shouting, congratulations, congratulations. And I looked around, I thought, they must be mad, because I don't know the man. <laughs> yeah. You don't know him, and he's, he suddenly said you're engaged. You see, Norman made up his mind when he first saw me in the hospital that this is the girl he's going to marry. So Never he loved mind you, he loved me what I thought. He loved you from the, the, the moment from he saw the you? Moment. This is, he made up his mind. Did you love him from that moment? I said, I, I don't, he said, we will love each other. I love you, and this and that. He had most beautiful eyes you've ever seen, and I fell in love with his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, and he was most um, thoughtful, and, you know, with my mother. Anyway, so I didn't want to spoil the evenings. So I thought I'd let him get away with it. Then afterwards, they've taken us back to our barracks. Off he went. And following that, he comes over again with his secretary. And I, he wants to give me a kiss on my cheek. 
I saw, you know, I'd lift, set your shield their lives. I saw that I may have a baby, you know. So I pushed him away. <laughs> he says, what's the matter? You are my fiance. I said, look, you were born in England. I was born in Poland. We don't know each other. And his determination arose again. He types out the official paper that I'm engaged to a British sergeant and I have to wait for his return to get married. His unit had to move on further into the deep Germany and to assure himself that I would be there for him. That's why he done that. And afterwards he went and I ignored the paper and, and, and the ring he gave me. Mm. And oh, so um, he gave you an engagement ring? Not, not a, a ring he took off. I brought it upstairs. Okay. Uh, not a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a war on. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long? How long was it before he came back to to get you? Then after a few months. Um, a few months. About September. Um, you see, he's he had done a very b- big job mm. and a very important job he was doing, and he arrested my very high officials, and in deep Germany, and so. About September, uh, all of a sudden, by then we lived in brick barracks already. Okay. Uh, they've been before occupied by the Russian uh, prisoners. So they were a little bit more hospitable than the, yes, the barracks Yes, most before. was civilization. Mm. We shared the two girls and my mother and I, one room, and we had uh, a corner we partitioned with a curtain we used as a bathroom, as a shower, you know, washroom, got no lecture of a bathroom. And um, and one day I happened to be outside the building, my mother called me up, and, um, and then I opened the door from behind those curtains, walked out Norman, he holds his hand up, he says, sorry I couldn't come sooner because his mother was had a heart attack, now she's better. He came specially to establish a day of our marriage. And his determination rose again. And please don't say no and no and no. And eventually I gave in. And we made the date for the 7th of October. And he had to go back to, you know, he had only two hours leave. And um, Reverend Hardman got to us. So he was a... Um, army he was a major and army chaplain and he took me in his jeep to Lübeck so many 300 kilometers from Belsen where Norman was stationed and a friend of Norman took me to a dressmaker and um, brought in a British parachute and my dress was made out of a British parachute which is now in the Imperial War Museum. Oh, is it? And uh, on the show there. Okay. And then as a British subject, I wasn't allowed to stay in Germany. No one was given special leave. So did you move to England? To move to England. And my first step was Hendon. And I adopted three ambitions. To learn the English language and to adopt a way of British life and to write about my memoirs, memoirs, in case I forget. In case you forget. But how can I forget? So I've written that book 
but people haven't got a clue what went on. For generations, for younger generations, generations to come, should never, never, never allow it to happen again. And should never, never experience what I have experienced. Thank you. Hilary, when did you actually realize that your mum was a Holocaust survivor and when did you actually become aware of what the, the Holocaust is? Um, my grandmother told me because she lived with us and uh, she told me of some of her experiences and everything. So, <clears throat> what age was, were you? I think I was probably about eight. That's, that's quite young. Yeah. 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 And do you remember was much about. She did it as eight? Yes. Yeah. Eight, eight, eight I and a half. Know that. I didn't you didn't know, know that. that. No. No, she used to. T- she told me quite a lot of things. Gina, did you not talk? Did you not talk no. to your kids no. about it much? No. no. You didn't no. want to because I didn't want them to know. But I, I always knew that there was something because um, there was always s- certain things that were spoken about in Polish and in German, so I wouldn't understand. But I actually picked it up. Well, kids are like that, aren't they? Yes. yes. Really, yeah. 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 What sort of things were you picking up? Oh, I knew that um, my mother wasn't always very well. She had problems with her back and things like that. So I knew. But that was later on anyway. When, um, But my grandmother told me what experiences she had and what went on. She told me when I was quite young, yeah. What sort of issues did you have sort of immediately after the war and how did you actually deal with them? I'm, maybe I'm talking, uh, did you go into therapy? Did you, did you kind of just bury it under the, under the carpet and try to get on with no, things? No, I tried to get on with my life. As I said, I adopted the way of British life. I want to bring up the children in the British way and not <coughs> to let them know of my atrocities. I told myself, I tell them when they get older, but I didn't want to upset the, the youth. But wouldn't there have been a way to, to deal with any anxiety or depression that you, you have experienced you know, after the war without telling the kids? What do you mean? Well, I'm, 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 I'm only assuming here, going through, going through something like the Holocaust will, will render you with a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression, and there's a way of dealing with that without actually revealing anything well, to your I, kids. I tried to avoid it because I think due to my husband that I was occupied, that I didn't have time to think about. So you were building a life. So I went forward all the time. Has there been any point in since up until up until now where you've thought maybe I should try and deal with these these issues, try and deal with my past? There wasn't the issue. Mm. Because I was determined to adopt the way of British life to life of today, not mm. from yesterday. Yeah. I tried to You try and draw a line on it. The line. I draw a line and I went forward. Okay. When when you were growing up, um, Hilary, did you ever look at behaviours of, of your mum or your grandma and think that's from the war? If you, let's say if you were comparing it to your friend's parents or your friend's grandparents, did you ever think something doesn't quite add up here? Not in a negative way, but in a the war kind of explains their behaviours. Yes, 
Yeah, I did. What kind of what kind of things? Um, I can't say anything uh, specific, mm. but um, it was general. Our general home life was was different to to my peers, my friends. In in which way? In, ge- um, in general. Because um, I know your your grandmother lived with you. Yes. Well, and that was the first thing. Not many of my friends had a grandmother living with them. Yeah. So that was different. Um, also, um, I don't think the general upbringing was 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 different. Um, there was always an amount of um, fear. You know, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. What things in them? Um, um, I had a Star of David. I wasn't allowed to wear it, showing out. Um, things that were <clears throat> may perhaps other people wouldn't have thought of doing. Their life seemed to be a lot more freer. Was that Gina? Was that because you did not want Hillary to display the the Star no, of David? No, no, you just you wanted Hillary to yeah, blend in. Yeah. From this is wo- today, even. And I've seen two youngsters, boys, wearing the tzitzes out. For, for listeners who don't know, tzitzes are... And I'm are, very um, much against it. I said, okay. you can be a good Jew, but in your heart, but don't have to have the tzitzes hanging out. Because I've seen what's happened to those people. Just for, just for listeners who don't know, tzitzes are... Um, it's like a prayer shawl, and you'll often see them... Use your own gold as green or uh, <laughs> or uh, Sanford Hill, you know and you see you. little tassels hanging out from their shirt. They usually tuck them in their pocket, but you know you wear it under. It's like a vest, I guess, but yeah. with um, with some tassels. So you, so I guess after the war, you kind of felt you should hide, and and that's yeah, the only way you yeah. can have a a good life. I feel you can be a good Jew, but you don't have to show out. Just because you don't, you kind of because fear that. I'm f- yes, because of my experiences I don't want the people to suffer and you you picked up on that Hillary quite early on yes it wasn't until later life that I did I realize how different things were hmm because well, I guess like that like the kid that uh, Gina had had in, had in the war the, the mm-hmm. oh, I think it was his sister-in-law's kid for him, that was a normal way of living. I guess yeah. for you, you just thought, well, this is how this is how things are. Yes, yes. And it wasn't until I really sort of uh, went out to work and things like that. And then I realised, you know, that this isn't the same as everyone else. This isn't right Did you Did you kind of re- report that back to Gina? Um, I don't think she would have quite understood. No, not even today. With with your kids, yeah. Do you do you, do you think you you've passed that that same mentality on, or you've you've definitely kind of... not? No, I have a totally different relationship with my children and my grandchildren. Mm. Totally different. In what way? Because I didn't bring them up to be in fear of anything. No fear. None whatsoever. No, thank and God for that. How I brought up my children was in a, a totally different way. Well, it's I wanted I yes, but I didn't want them to feel that there was anything to fear, mm. that everything was there for them. I wanted them to feel as relaxed as possible. I didn't want them to feel the negativity that I was brought up with. Gina, do you do you feel safe now? 
Well, because, you see, I protect them mm. in a way. Because I didn't want them to to come across anything of hatred and so on, in a way, to protect them, to give them the good side of life, not to give them the bad side of it. But that's that's not the real life. The real life is that you have good and bad, and you have to yes, experience that. Yes, but then you were too young. No, then. you're never too young. You're never too young. At a certain age, you have to, unfortunately, experience the good and the bad. And no, that makes you, you a stronger person and a stronger character. And, for, well, fortunately, unfortunately, certain things have happened in my life, and I've actually been able to... Um, be a much stronger person now. Gina, do you feel safe now in, in Stanmore? Have you felt safe living in England? Oh, yes, I feel safe. Yes. Yeah. Did you feel safe immediately when you came here after the war? Oh, yes. The life was entirely different. Completely different. Life was um, strangers, you know, used to come in, running from the cross the road, Jewish and not Jewish. Can I shake your hands? How wonderful to see and the same experience Norman he still was wearing his uniform thank you sir thank you sir for liberating us don't forget it, people appreciate the life much more than today mm. today life is very cheap they don't care anybody's feeling but that time people were waiting for the son to come back or the husband come back from the war. And life was precious. I guess this question for both of you. Do you feel in your life that the Holocaust is this looming, this looming thing in the background? And do you, do you often feel that it, it's the thing that defines you? What do you mean? Would you feel when people it's meet you... It's in the past. Well, in, in the sense that when you meet people... And they find out you're a Holocaust survivor, or Hillary, they find out that you're the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Do you think that becomes the overriding way that they, the overriding prison that they see you through? Possibly, yes, but I don't, I don't like to talk about it. I'm thankful for you chatting about it today. <laughs> what do you mean? You feel degraded or what? No, I don't feel degraded, but I, I if they mention it to me, I don't. I say, well, yes, you know, I am. And um, if they want to ask me questions, I just say I, I'd rather not talk about it. And you're not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it, but yeah. I've been living with it. You yes, know, so and I don't... The point is, there is a time where I don't really want to talk about it. Oh. There are certain people don't want to talk about it. Mm. And some people like to talk about it. And some people have to talk about it. Which of those three categories do you put yourself in? Who? Me? Yeah. For <laughs> what? You're, which category? <laughs> so are you, are you yes, someone I that... I know what I've got yeah. to say. I know what you're going but to what, say. What are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Well, I think it has to be told and never forgotten. Mm -hmm. It's not for your sake, for my sake, for younger people, <clears throat> for generations today and tomorrow. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but that's my opinion. Do you feel that by by talking about it, you're you're honouring 
the family that you lost. Yes, you do. You do. As, it, as in, it's a way of, of keeping yes, their memory yes, alive. Yes, of course. Yes, it is. That's a, yeah. Well, I am I'm grateful that I'm alive today. Yes, but by talking about it, by you're honouring the people that you lost. You're, yes, you, it's, it's, yes, yes. Their memory is in... Their memory should never be, be forgot. Yes. Okay. And not only my family, but everybody's family. Everyone lost somebody. Fair near the relations. So you feel you're, you're talking because the, the six million can't? Yes. Okay. One, one thing I'm, I'm quite interested to know is when you see, let's say, big Hollywood films or, or, or American films or even European films depicting the Holocaust, what, what's your opinion on, on that, using the atrocities as a way of, of creating fiction? I don't think it's creating fiction. Um, I think it's probably bringing what happened to people that would only learn from it by seeing it in fiction, mm. if you like. See, so, it's so a it's, good thing. It's, it's a, an educational okay. part. Gina, how, you do, you, how do you feel? You've somebody's horizon. I'm sorry? You've broadened your horizon. People very, very close, very narrow-minded. But this really is an eye-opening to some people. <laughs> So we always end on a quiz on a this quiz. podcast. We always end on a quiz. Right. So we're basing this quiz around 1923. That's before my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, question one. Which magazine was founded in 1923? I'll give you a clue. You might look at your watch. Time magazine. Time magazine, yeah. What happened at Yankee Stadium for the first time in 1923? So Yankee Stadium in America... It's famous for a particular sport. Oh, baseball. No. But yeah, yeah, first baseball. baseball game. Yeah. Cecil B. DeMille directed what film in 1923? He later remade it in the 50s. Ten it's, Commandments? Yeah, it's always shown at Yom Kippur for some strange <laughs> reason. Let me go. Gina, let me see if you can get this one. Howard Carter opened what in 1923? It's a bit, of an, a bit of an Egyptian uh, connection oh, here. Tutankhamun. Uh, the kind of King Tut burial. Yeah. Yeah. T- yeah. I'm a dance. Sorry? I'm a dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if you can get this one. I bet, I bet you can get this one. Who was born on the 1st of February in that year? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I. So you got one. You got one, Gina. So if you want to see the photos I, I took of the girls, um, head to www.sftl.photos. Um, you can like and share as much as you like. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your stories. Oh, you're, you're welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's how, how I always end the podcast. I've been Robert Gershenson. I'm Hilary Tash. I'm Gina Terrible. We'll see you later. Thank you.